All right, we're going to study God's Word together. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. This new series is called City on a Hill. Really important series for us. I want to urge us, Brook Hills members, to be here, if at all possible, for each one of these eight messages in this series. We've been talking, trying to, to speak very intentionally about who we are as a church instructed by God's Word. So we've talked about the threefold task of the New Testament church, worship, nurture, and mission. We've unpacked worship, nurture, and mission with some specific things so that we can understand those big, broad concepts and what it means. It's, it means that we're giving ourselves to love Jesus and to grow in Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus in Birmingham and among the nations. So that's worship, loving Jesus, nurture, growing in Jesus, and making disciples is mission. So we've talked about that. And then in 2017, if you were here, we walked through a series called the We Are series in order to try to put some handles on what does that look like? So what are the things that we pursue by way of biblical distinctives for God's people? And so we looked at we abide biblically and we gather faithfully and connect meaningfully and invest sacrificially, welcome graciously, engage locally, reach globally, risk intentionally, walk through those things. And, and this series, we want to hit the refresh button so we can keep seeing that again and again from the pages of God's Word and keep driving in that direction by God's grace toward those eight pursuits that define God's people. So this is an important time for us, and it's, it's an important season for us as a church. Just think about the fact that this is going to be a unique year for us, right? And, and in light of decisions that we made, a big face step that we took at the end of last year. So this campus development uh, project is going to begin, Lord willing, at, in early summer. And so it's going to be on us before we, before we know what hit us, right? So we want to gear up. We don't want that to sneak up on us. We want to gear up for that. We want to be ready for that moment with faith and with intentionality and even with, even with financial readiness, so that's just something that's on our horizon. We do, we're wise to pay attention to that, the season that we're in as a church. But having said that, as important as that is, we don't want to be confused by what's helpful. This project is going to be helpful for us and for the ministry that we do. We don't want to confuse what's helpful with what's ultimate. And so we want to, and that's part of what this series is about, is we want to keep our eye on the ball. This is what we're about. This is the heart. This is the why behind the what. This is what motivates us before that project, during that project, after that project. This is what we're all about as a church. We're all in for these things. And so I want us to keep our eye on the ball. I, um, my, my son, Will, when he was about five years old, we thought baseball was going to be his thing. He turned out to hate it. He left it the very next year. He hated it because it was so hot in New Orleans in the summertime when it was baseball season, so he only gave us one year of baseball. But Little League Baseball is great. If you've ever watched Little League Baseball players or, or coached Little League Baseball, it's just a, a ton of fun. And you'll see... Uh, you know, those boys in Little League Ball, they're just, their heads are all over the place. You know, you'll see them out in the outfield just turning in circles and playing with the grass, and they're just so distracted, and eyes are everywhere, and just everything's amazing. Um, and so you get them behind a plate, and you're trying to teach them how to hit the ball, right? And so Will's coach had played minor league ball, and he was passionate, and he was a great coach. And so he got on his knee with these five-year-old boys, and he just lined them up, and he said, okay, you're first. And he had all these balls all around him. He got on his knee. And every ball he grabbed, he said the same thing. He said, see it, hit it. 
and then he threw it and grabbed another ball. And in one practice, he must have said that 100 times. See it? And the boys dialed in. Yeah, yeah, I see it. <laughs> hit it. See it, hit it over and over. I, I hope this series is that. I hope it's, it's God saying through his word, this is right here. You see this? Hit this. Aim at this. Transformation through my word, community, kindness, hospitality. You see this? It's right here. See it, hit it, so that we can be intentional as a church to focus on the things that God has for us as a church. And it all begins with this. So in the We Are series, the first We Are distinctive was we abide biblically. And if I answer the question, what does that mean in one word? What's the thing that we're pursuing? In one word, when we say we abide biblically, what are we going after? I think the one word answer is transformation. We, we don't want to just kind of add biblical data to our minds. We want to be changed by the truth of God's word. Enter 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Follow along with me as I read. But as for you, he's talking to Timothy, his son of the faith and the leader of the church at Ephesus. You, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. You know, we want so many things for ourselves as a local church. We want to, we want to worship God wholeheartedly, right? When we gather with our everyday lives and all of life, we want to worship Him. We want to be a good witness in the city. We want our lives to display the character of Jesus in our community. We want to take the gospel to the nations. We want to love the poor and reach out to those around us. We want to have joy in the gospel, even in the midst of suffering and hardship, right? We want to be prayerful people. Acts chapter 2, expectant, faith-filled, risk-taking people. We want to be a unified church where there's, it's one family, it's one Lord, one faith, one God and Father of us all, despite all our differences in, in, in ethnicity or age or gender, all of our differences, right? And yet we meet here at the one table that brings God's family together. We, we want to display the reconciling power of the gospel in a fractured world. There's so many things. I could talk about that all day long. We have so many things that we want to pursue by God's grace as a church. But here's the point. We won't, we won't see any of that fruit unless we give ourselves to God's word. In other words, all of that happens and only happens when, Psalm 1, our tree is planted by streams of water and here comes the water up through the roots and now our leaf is green year-round and we're perpetually fruit-bearing because we're prox we're located in proximity to God's word. That, that's what this whole thing is about. So if we want to be a city on a hill, that's the name of this series, 
We want to be a city on a hill. We want to be a transformed people who shine in our city and in our world. Then we give ourselves to three priorities. Cultivate three priorities. Number one, we learn in community. Imitation, we learn in community. So throughout this letter, Paul has been talking about how Christian faith is meant to be transferred from one believer to another, from, from one generation to another through, through personal example and through intentional disciple-making. It's not just one, it's both, personal example and disciple-making. So just hold your place here, flip over to chapter 1, the very beginning of this letter, 2 Timothy chapter 1, right at the outset in verse 1, follow as I, as I read these first few verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly loved son. This is his spiritual son. There have been spiritual investments from Paul to Timothy. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God. Now Paul is going to reach back to those who came before him in the faith whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you. Now he's pointing forward in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and now I am convinced is in you also. You see all these transferring work that's going on in this text. You had a great mom and a great grandma who, who drilled God's truth into your heart and into your mind and prayed for your young soul, right? And he's saying, and then you've received deposits from me. Flip back over to chapter three. And Paul includes himself in those who have been investing in Timothy's life. Verse 10, you have followed my teaching conduct. Then he lists all these things. He says, Timothy, you saw my life, you heard my teaching, and you've imitated it. So it's personal example and it's teaching. That's in your notes. We transfer truth through teaching and example. We transfer truth through teaching and example. Look again at verse 14 with me. As for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures. I love those words. From infancy you have known the sacred scriptures. This is why, friends, for one thing, we encourage family worship. We encourage family worship. Put God's word at the center of your home. Put it around the, the, the kitchen table. Let it overflow into the living room. Let it overflow into the conversation on the way to and from the ball field. May God's words fill our homes, fill our conversations, fill our kids' minds and hearts. My, my grandma on my mom's side, Mama, was a, was, the first, was a first generation believer in her family. No one that we know of above her believed in Christ or followed him faithfully, and Momo came to faith in Jesus, and, uh, and then she met Papa, and he was a believer, and they got married, and they had two daughters, my Aunt Becky and my mom, and Aunt Becky loves Jesus, and Aunt Becky and Uncle Steve had three children, all of whom, my cousins who were like brothers and sisters to me, they were really close, grew up in the same city, they loved Jesus, and my dad and mom had three kids, me and my older brother and my older 
sister, my dad is with the Lord, my brother serves the Lord, my sister serves the Lord. And uh, when we were all together, when Momo was still alive and we were all together, Momo at some point would always have to stop and just point out what's happening here. And she would say, I can't tell you how thankful I am to see that my children and my children's children love the Lord. And we would walk, you'd walk into our front door of our living room and there was a not super beautiful embroidered scripture verse that was framed on the wall as you walked inside, and it was Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that was something Mama never got over, that that was being fulfilled, and she had eyes to see that it was being fulfilled. But, but my parents weren't haphazard in just hoping that would somehow fall on us, you know, pixie dust from the sky, it would just fall, and suddenly children would love the Lord. They filled our home with God's word. And a love for God's people, his church, right? Notice in verse 15, I love that language. Again, from infancy, you've known the sacred scriptures. The, the, the curriculum of the Christian household is the word of God. You knew it since you were this big. Before you could speak, the word was being read over you. Timothy, oh, friends, Christian families, let me just say to you, it's never too early to read God's word in your home over your children. They can't talk yet. They're just kicking the mobile and eating their fist, and you're reading biblical truth over their little hearts and minds. We started family worship when our oldest son, who's now 20, when he was a baby or a toddler. And, um, and at, the, at that time, we, we weren't asking him to read or to contribute much by way of praying or even forming a rational thought, right? He would, he would just kind of sit there and pay attention. And the first thing that Paula would work on with him is just, okay, let's, let's teach you how to find the chapter and verse. Dad says he's going to read chapter 1, verse 4. Look, the 1's that big number. The 4's that little number. You know your numbers. So look, oh, look, you got your finger on the right verse. Look, now Dad's going to read it. You have no idea he's actually reading it, but that's what he's reading here in a moment. And then you add a couple of years. He gets older. He starts reading. Will gets older. Ellie... Ellie comes, and she, she's a baby, and I remember when, when Ellie was super young, and, and I said, um, who wants to read verse 3 tonight? And uh, Ellie had her little finger on verse 3, because she knew how to found, find the big number and the small number. She had her finger on the right verse. She said, I want to read verse 3. The only problem was she didn't know how to read. <laughs> so love the, love the confidence, love, love the readiness, uh, but didn't know how to read. And so my wife leaned over, I'll never forget this, leaned over and whispered in her ear, but you, O Lord, and Ellie moved her finger across the page, but you, O Lord, as though she were reading it, which is actually not truthful, but, but we're in the word, right? All that, that stuff gets addressed right here. Give it time. And her finger's moving across the page and her mom whispers, you, O Lord, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, are a shield about me. My glory, my glory and the one who lifts my head, and the one who lifts my head. And all the while, what is happening? Life-transforming truths from God's mouth are pouring into our living room, are pouring over the hearts and minds of our children. Paul says, from infancy, Timothy, you had a gift, the gift of all gifts. From infancy, you were acquainted with the sacred writings the sacred scriptures. Verse 14 and 15 are the foundation for the practice of family worship. Next point, it's, it's why we value next generation ministry as a church. 
we value next generation ministry as a church. I ask for the lesson plans that are going on in each of the halls where next generation ministry is going on. I love this. So here, here's an update as of this morning. Here's what's happening over here in the preschool hall. They're learning about the miracles of Jesus and the memory verse is Jeremiah 32, 27. And so let me get you to repeat it after me, sort of family worship style. Ready? Repeat phrase by phrase. Look, I am the Lord. The God over every creature is anything too difficult for me. What are these little ones learning? This morning, while we're in here, they're learning God is bigger than everything in the world and he can do anything he wants to do and you can trust him because he's sovereign. There's nothing that's too hard for him. You know, it's never too early to start hearing those truths. Here's what's happening. You walk upstairs on the third floor. What are Brook Hills kids learning? They're learning about the Old Testament sacrificial system and how Jesus fulfills all of the Old Testament sacrificial system when he becomes the perfect once for all sacrifice and then sits down because it's finished and it's accomplished. Our first through fifth graders are learning that right now. Student ministry, studying Acts chapter four this morning, learning what biblical community looks like for us to serve one another as Christians and help each other grow in the faith. Go into the college ministry. What are they talking about? What does the Bible say about how we can relate intentionally to members of the opposite sex in godly ways? They pulled older believers to mentor, to open the scripture, so they're talking from their experience and from God's word about things that matter, things that are super relevant to where they are in life. So what's the picture? Students from the youngest to the oldest are being taught God's word and what it means for their lives. Discipleship is an all-hands-on-deck endeavor for the local church. It's why we encourage family worship. It's why we value next-generation ministry and are about to, connected to that campus development thing, we're, we're talking about it, making a fresh investment in that kind of ongoing future ministry. Thankful to God for His grace. Then here's the next point. It's why we need singles and families working together. I'm a huge believer in the the integration of singles and families in the church of Jesus Christ. Single friends, here's, here's the magic that you bring. You love Jesus, and our kids still think you're cool. <laughs> right? So that kind of works. That's kind of a win-win for all of us. So parents of teenagers, here's, let me show you what you need. This is, um, this is just an image of what you need. Hopefully, that's not me. You don't, it's not me. <laughs> it's something else. There we go. Okay, so this is uh, Heather Webb and my daughter. So we, uh, we first met Heather Webb when, uh, when she became Ellie's small group leader in student ministry. And she just started pouring in and investing and cultivating memories and having fun and being young with Ellie, but also discipling her. So you can't have Heather, but you can have someone like Heather. Or, or maybe we can work out some kind of like alternating weeks thing with, with Heather. But... Here's, here's just a cool story that illustrates her investment in our daughter and in their small group. So um, Heather was here and was pouring into Ellie and other girls in their small group. And then Heather felt like the Lord was leading her to go up and be a midtermer and do mission work in New York, which was a sad day for us, a good day for the broader kingdom of God. But it was like, oh, Miss Heather's been awesome 
for us, she heads up to New York, and then Ellie's friend has a milestone birthday that was coming up. This was a few years ago. Milestone birthday for her, and her mom said, hey, you can bring a friend, and we'll go somewhere special, and we'll have a good time over the weekend. Where do you want to go, and where do the girls want to go? Let's go see Miss Heather. So they went up to New York. Look, that, that is amazing influence. We talk about faith that moves mountains. Heather's faith moves teenagers. Like, that's, that's the new mountain. That is a pretty awesome thing. Somehow she, she can be both a loyal confidant and mentor to our daughter and our friend, Paula and I, and comrade in the trenches of, of Christian parenting. And how she does that, I don't even quite know. But here's the thing. If she moves away from Brook Hills, I think we have to go with her right? There's been such deep investment there. And here's the really fun part. I could name multiple Heathers throughout this congregation, singles, family members, uh, seniors who are pouring truth into the next generation. Like, that's what it's all about, discipling. We learn in community. Next point, we listen to God. We listen to to God. All scripture, Paul says, is inspired of God. It's, it's, it's the Greek word theopneustos. It means God breathed. Literally, you translate it, it is breathed out by God. So you think about that. So you exhale as you speak and words are enabled to come out as you're exhaling. God exhaled and we got this. God breathed and we got 66 books that tell us who he is who we are, how we can come to know him, what's wrong with the world, how that wrong can be made right. He breathed out the Bible. We have authoritative speech, trustworthy speech from the mouth of God, just like the edict of a king carries the king's authority. These words from God, these promises from God, these commands of God carry his authority. That's why you have this point in your outline. We believe the Bible because its author is God. Above the human authors and the use of their own vocabulary and all of the rest, there is this God who superintended the process of inspiring his word. That, that, that was, by the way, Jesus' own view of the scriptures. Jesus had a high view of the scriptures. He gave a ringing, unqualified endorsement of all the component parts of your Bible, the law, the prophets, the writings. He said, it's all gold standard. It's all trustworthy. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That was Jesus' view of Scripture. He said, the Scriptures cannot be broken. That was his view of Scripture. He said, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of a letter will pass away until all things are accomplished. We have solid ground beneath our feet, Christians. College students, your faith isn't a flimsy faith. It's not tethered to something weightless. You have a reason to believe. You have a reason for the hope that lies within you. Believe it with all your heart. Don't be ashamed of it or embarrassed of it. Jesus quoted scripture when he was tempted by Satan. He brought it into battle. It is written, it is written, it is written. He drove off Satan with scripture. He quoted scripture in debates with scholars of his time. He quoted scripture to prove that he was right. He said, I've already cited a psalm. It's over. Because it's in God's word, clearly it's true. 
Now, I love the hymn that we sing. We still sing this. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. Church, why? Think about our our life and even our patterns as a congregation. Why do we study big themes of the Bible, like the, the Connect with God series that we walked through last year where we're answering questions like, who's the Holy Spirit? What is prayer? What is the church? How do I discern God's will? Why do we walk through series like that? Because we want you to learn how to process big questions with your Bible open. Not only that, why do we study through books of the Bible systematically walking through chapter after chapter after chapter, by the time we get to the end of this year, Lord willing, we will have studied First Peter, we will have studied the book of Proverbs, four other New Testament letters in their entirety. Little by little, we're hacking away at the Psalms, it's 150, but in the last five years, we've knocked out 50 of them, right? So we're on our way, and we're just moving systematically through the Bible, back and forth, Old Testament, New Testament, Nehemiah last year, Mark last year. We're all over, right? Why? Because we want to give ourselves to the whole counsel of God. Every word he spoke matters. We live by his word, so let's get it. Let's get it in us. Let's drink deeply from the word of God because we live by every word that comes from his mouth. We believe the Bible because its author is God, and because that's true, this next point is true as well. There's no indicator more predictive of a coming crisis in the church than waning confidence in the word of God. I hope you feel that conviction in your bones. Why are so many... um, So many books, if you're familiar with the Christian publishing world, so many books are being written on church revitalization. And the reason for the need for all these books on church revitalization is because so many churches around our country are dying. And they're dying because they're starving. They're starving. There's a famine of God's word being faithfully preached. And there's mainline denominations have made institutional decisions to deny the authority and truthfulness of God's word. And down you go. I mean, you, 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 can't, you can't deny the life-giving words of God in scripture and still think the church is going to live. You push out God's word and you just gave up all the vibrancy that might have been there before. And so there are churches all over town. I could name some of them right now. Churches all over our city where you could walk up, you could make a fair offer on the building and on the property and they'd, and they'd make that deal. Why? Because the building's empty. There's no one there. I, I have friends around the country who have stepped into places like that context where churches are nearly dead. There's only a remnant of maybe four or five believers still gathering in that place. And they go in, and what's job number one? Reassert, 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Preach the word. In season, out of season. When the pews are full, when the pews are empty, preach the word because that's the only hope of the life of the church. Ezekiel 37, prophesy over the valley of dry bones and pray that the spirit moves and things start shaking. And that's what they're, pre- they're preaching Sunday after Sunday, praying, spirit, move over these dry bones and the preaching of your word and make it live. God's word is trustworthy and God's word, word carries his authority. The next point, God's word doesn't sit beneath us for our inspection, but above us for our submission. I read a story of a man who was in Paris visiting the Louvre. He was particularly interested in seeing, as is everyone who goes there, seeing 
Da Vinci's great masterpiece, The Mona Lisa, and after examining the painting for some time with a critical eye, he announced, I don't like it. And the guard that was stationed there replied, Sir, these paintings are no longer being judged. The viewers are. <laughs> In other words, what you just said about this timeless masterpiece told me a lot more about you than about the painting itself. Scripture isn't critiqued by us. It critiques us. Hebrews chapter 4 says it's a scalpel. It divides thoughts and intents of the heart. It flays us. It lays us bare before the God with whom we are to do. It shines light into deep places we can't see on our own. And it says, here's what's there, and here's what my promise can do. Here's what my spirit can do. God's word stands above us for our glad-hearted submission. Even when reading Christian books outside of Scripture, I find it so edifying when I encounter Christian authors like, like Paul David Tripp, like Jen Wilkin, like Jerry Bridges and Ray Orland, who are constantly saying, hey, look, hey, look, it's in, it's in God's word. Don't just take my word for it. I'm going to put this in parentheses so you can look up a verse in the Bible and keep me honest. This is in God's word, and they're pointing you back and saying, that's the ultimate source. Go back to the ultimate source. I'm going to run through these rather quickly. To grasp verse 16 is to grow in the conviction that if God says it, it's true. If God did it, it was right. He made the right call with the Amalekites. He made the right call with the fallen angels. It was right. If God loves it, it's beautiful. If God hates it, it's destructive. And if God values it, it's valuable. If God says it, it's true. If he did it, it was right. If he loves it, it's beautiful. If he hates it, it's destructive. If he values it, it's, it's valuable. An article that came out just last month about how Iceland is curing Down syndrome. Guess what the cure is according to Iceland policy for eradicating down syndrome from their population. It's a three-stage process. It's laid out very clearly. Prenatal screening, genetic counseling, and terminating the child who has Down syndrome. Or as the article puts it, terminating the pregnancy. Christians, we, we get our discernment from Scripture. That's the only way that we're not thrown about by every wind and new fad and idea in our culture and in modern philosophy. Don't, so don't read the Bible to check a box. Read the Bible to get God's heart, to get a burden for what his burdens are. Here, here's how it works. Put it together. All scriptures breathed out by God. He exhales this, we inhale. He breathes it out, we breathe it in, and we're transformed. It's getting into our system. It's getting into our bloodstream. And it's affecting who we are and what we think and our perspective on everything, which leads us to the last point. It affects our lives. We're being changed. Imitation, revelation, transformation. Verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable or useful for what? For teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, if we get God's word into us, here's what happens. 
We're complete and we're equipped for every good work. That is, every good work that has lasting value in this world, eternal ramifications in this world, comes to us through the equipping truth of God's word. It's in your notes this way. God's word is not only true, it's useful. It's useful. It, it, the Bible doesn't have its head stuck in the clouds somewhere with just a bunch of information that doesn't really affect the way that we live here in the world. I love Desiring God has a Bible memorization app. Anybody know what it's called? Fighter verses. Don't you love that? You bring these truths into battle. You bring it into the real world, into real hardships and suffering. It's perfect. It's reminding us by the very name of the app that the Bible's for life, for all of life. And then it lists verses under... Verses of Scripture under all these different categories. See if any of these sound relevant to the, the world that we live in. Anger, anxiety, contentment, endurance, fear, forgiveness, guidance, joy, obeying God, pride, security in God, suffering. And underneath, you click any of those, and underneath it just gives you a raft of biblical verses that say, is this your issue right now? Take God's word there. His word will transform you. Even there, his word speaks. The Bible isn't just here to acquaint us with ancient history. It's here to turn us. It's here to change and, and reprove and correct and, and give us wisdom and equip us for everything we need in life, in the home, in the church, in the world, and on the campus. I love what author Joe Thorne, he says this, when you are wise in the word, you are most fit for walking in the world. Say that again. When you are wise in the word, you are most fit for walking in the world. How much like Proverbs does that sound? Where this, this dad in the book of Proverbs, he gets down on his knee and he holds up a ball and he says, you see this? You give everything you have to hitting this. Get wisdom. And all you're getting, get this. Swing at this. This matters more than everything. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And then just instruction just seems, just starts pouring out of mom and dad. He says, everything you heard for your mom and dad, bind it around your neck and hold on to it for life. It's wisdom for life. Equips us for every good work. God's word is useful. And it even corrects us. That's the next point here. We need correction. I mean, who would deny that, right? We need correction. Notice Notice the relationship between chapter 3, verse 16, and 4, verse 2. So, in verse 16 of chapter 3, what's the, what's the scripture profitable for? For teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. And then in chapter 4, verse 2, he's going to talk about the preaching of the word. And it's the same purpose. Rebuking, correcting, encouraging, teaching. They They match. So your intake of God's word throughout the week and what we experience when we come together to hear the word preached should be change. Like it's, it's turning me in God's direction. The purpose of God's word is to change us. Look, just because we're church folk doesn't mean we don't have built-in resistances to God's word. You ever read something in God's word and your heart says, nope, right? I'm gonna pretend I didn't just read that because that's not comfortable. That's not where I want to go with my life. That's not what I want to believe. That's not, that's not convenient for me right now. Well, we've got two options. Twist, twist the text or we turn. God's word is meant to shape and change 
our lives. I, I love what Ted and Margie Tripp say about parenting, but it's true for all of life. When people live without a clear, consistent presentation of biblical reality, their sinful nature will read and interpret reality for them. How true that is. Their hearts will cut a path that satisfies their lust and desires to serve themselves. So we need correction. Next, we don't want to merely understand the truth. We want to welcome it. We don't want to just understand it. We want to bring it in. We want to welcome it. Find a home here in my life. Here's a cool story to think about in family worship this week. 1 Samuel chapter 3. This is a wonderful moment in the Old Testament where Samuel's just a little boy and he's, uh, he's serving Eli the priest and he's working around the temple, just doing kind of menial tasks around the temple. And he goes to bed one night and God says, Samuel. And he runs into Eli because he thinks it's Eli. And he says, you called me. Here I am. And Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. He goes back to bed and he lays down and he hears his name and then he runs in. He says, here I am. Eli says, I didn't call. What's, what's wrong with you? Go back to bed. And then he, he hears it again and he runs in and this time Eli wises up and he says, go back to your room. Next time you hear your name, say this. Speak, O Lord, for your servant is listening. There's an attitude that we need to bring. Every time God's word is open on our lap, every time God's word is open in our midst, our hearts are saying, speak, Lord, I'm listening. Tell me, command me, promise me, assure me, speak, I'm listening. It's how we pursue transformation. We don't just wait for it to happen. We pursue it. So three things I want to leave us with before we go. Three things, real quick. Number one, love the word. Love the word. Your intake of God's word doesn't have to be some stuffy exercise. Bear in mind, this is an expression of your personal relationship with God. You can hear God speak. These are your headphones. You open this book and you're hearing God talking to you about all the things that matter most in this world. Are you listening in that way? Is it a personal encounter with God? And you know, other people can help us love God's word more. I don't know if that's been a part of your story. It's certainly been a part of my story. And even naturally, think about it in the, in the everyday world. So how many millions of people around the planet got a passion for nature and wildlife conservation because of Steve Irwin? Right, the crocodile guy, and he sounded so much different than the, the, the voice of Mutual of Omaha. Right, just so different. He would hold up like a lizard and go nuts. He's just standing and all, he's like, blimey, look at her, you know, and on and on and on. He's going on, and you're kind of like, you find yourself standing in awe of the wonder of, of God's created world. Well, hopefully we together in, in community, we're doing that for each other. I hope to do that every Sunday. I hope there's a sense in which I'm up here saying, blimey, look at this, you know. Here's a text, you know. That's a terrible accent. But anyway, you see, you see where I'm going. Are we loving it? Are we leaning into it? Are we passionate to learn God's word? Is it contagious among us? So love the word too. Live the word. We don't want to just be word smart. We want to be new. <laughs> we want to be humble, generous, Christ-like, caring, 
faithful, bold servants of Jesus Christ. We, we want to take what we're hearing, about to hear in this series, we want to we push up to it. We want to hear God say, you see this transformation? Hit this. And then next week, worship. Hit this. Community, kindness, ministry, outreach and mission, faith. You see this? It's in my word. Hit this. Aim at this. Swing at this as his faithful people. So, so let's do that by God's grace. Let's live the word. Third, so love the word, live the word, give the word. Give the word. Let me just say, the, so that it doesn't go without saying, the most important thing is that we would be disciples. It's easy to circumvent things and get all about doing ministry and making disciples and we ourselves are not being faithful to Jesus. That's what the Pharisees were doing. Jesus said, you cross over earth and sea to share and proselytize other people, but you're just making them twice the sons of hell that you are. So internalize the truth before you try to give it away, right? So we want to be disciples, but being a disciple includes the command to make disciples, so we can't separate them either. That's why last year we were talking about these two play buttons alternately, love Jesus and help others love Jesus. Love him, but help others love him as well. What's that going to look like in your life this year. Figure out ways to get God's word into conversations at the kitchen table, at the ballpark, with your college roommate. Get God's word out into the open. Volunteer in preschool ministry. Help them, help the children memorize Jeremiah 32, 27. I love what Jonathan Lehman writes about the reverberating effects of God's word. We'll close after this. He, he says this, the word doesn't sound just once. It echoes and reverberates. It reverberates through the church's music and prayers. We'll talk about that next week. It reverberates through the conversations between elders and members and members and guests, older Christians and younger ones. God's words bounce around the life of the church, but the reverberating effect shouldn't stop there. The church building doors should open and God's words should echo out the doors, down the street, into the members' homes and workplaces. The reverberations of sound that began in the pulpit should eventually be bouncing off the walls in dining rooms, kitchens, and children's bedrooms, off gymnasium walls, cubicle dividers, and the insides of city bus windows, through emails, text messages, and internet pages. Love that. May we be a church where the word is bouncing off every wall, no matter where we are. His word is just filling up our minds, our hearts, our conversations. This, this friends... This is the kind of change and transformation that happens when God exhales over the church of Brook Hills. We start to become different people. We bring ourselves individually and corporately under his God-breathed word, and it doesn't leave us the same way it found us. That's our prayer.